0: Crime and public safety were the top issues of this year's mayoral election. Voters wanted to know how candidates would tackle concerns like the city's low rate of completed murder cases low police community trust, and a spike in gun violence. As the city prepares to swear in Mayor-elect Brandon Johnson, we turn to WBEZ criminal justice reporters Chip Mitchell and Patrick Smith for a deeper look at Johnson's public safety plan and what challenges he'll face accomplishing them. Hey, Patrick and Chip. Hey, Hey, Sasha. Welcome back. I'll start with you, Chip. I want to dig into these promises. Uh, Mayor-elect Brandon Johnson promises to add 200 detectives to the city's police force. What do experts say about that move?
1: Well, they they say it could. The the, the people I talk to are uh, say that there's no doubt it could make a difference for detectives, giving them more time to solve crimes, to try to solve crimes, major crimes, including you know shootings and homicides. But um, there is also an issue, and actually Paul Vallis, uh, the, uh, whom Mayor Brandon Johnson defeated in the runoff election. Um, there, there's a, there's an echo of concern that he raised. Um, I talked with former Deputy Chief Eve Gushes. She retired last August from CPD's Office of Constitutional Policing and Reform. Um, she says the most important step for solving these major crimes is actually strengthening community ties through patrol officers. So it's like getting a lot of cops on their beats, Um, having uh, cops that feel ownership of their beats, that they know everyone on the beat, they know the good people, the bad people, the people that are committing crimes, Um, and building trust um, through that kind of community policing that then generates information and cooperation that detectives need to solve crimes. So she says there's actually an underlying thing that Brandon Johnson is going to have to take on.
0: Your collective reporting it found less than 14 percent of detectives are black and that the, the number has been dropping for years. Now, recent census data puts Chicago's population at nearly 30 percent black. What do experts have to say about how that could impact Johnson's public safety plan? Chip? Yeah,
1: the number is actually 13.4 percent of CPD te- detectives are now black. And that's, you know, that's quite a bit lower than the percentage of, of cops who are black, way lower than the per- their percent of uh, uh, the African-American percentage of Chicago's population. So a challenge with uh, for expanding the detective bureau, like Brandon Johnson wants to do, is avoiding a repeat of the last time they ex- uh, expanded the detective bureau that was yeah. under Mayor Emanuel just a few years ago. He expanded it by Two hundred and forty detectives. Now, the way these detectives are selected, though, is almost entirely through a two-part exam. And Sasha, guess what happened? They they expanded the department by two hundred and forty positions. African Americans got only three of those positions—three mm-hmm. out of two hundred and forty. So the this whole expansion under Emanuel was built as as a diversity effort, but it um, it was quite the opposite. Doesn't
0: sound like it at all, Patrick. Let's let's pivot here. Another issue voters brought up throughout the election: this was crime public transit, yeah. carjackings. What can you tell us about what uh, Johnson plans to do to tackle those issues?
2: So so Johnson's plan, you know, he he sort of walked back from, I won't, uh, you know, we need to find inefficiencies in the police department to, never mind, I won't cut a cent from it, although obviously the detective, you know, that raising the detective ranks is is, is something involved with the police department. Broadly, he's spoken about addressing root causes of crime, things like poverty and inequality, and addressing trauma that that people believe can lead to some crimes like violence, uh, he has not gotten specific about like how he would stop, you know, or try to bring down numbers on robberies or carjackings. Uh, so until we hear from him, I mean, it's it's probably safe to say the police department will keep largely its its uh, you know status quo as far as as those kinds of crimes.
0: Yeah, let's talk about trauma centers, Patrick uh, Johnson's plan includes setting up trauma centers quote in collaboration with the state government. End quote.
2: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What does that mean? Well, I mean, I think probably it means they want some funding from the state. The state of Illinois is already funding uh, some of these trauma recovery centers around Illinois, some in the Chicago area, although there aren't very many in the city itself. These trauma recovery centers have been pushed largely as a way to help victims of gun violence. You know, we talk a lot about gun violence here, but we talk a lot about murder in the city. Many more people are shot and survive their gunshot wounds in the city. They need help. With all sorts of things, these trauma recovery centers are supposed to provide a safe space mm-hmm. for survivors of crime to go. They get wraparound services, obviously you know, connected to services like therapy, but also help with things like living their daily lives if yeah. they have financial or relocation needs. The idea is it's supposed to be this safe space where we say, hey – We know that as a survivor of violence or a survivor of crime, you're going to need a lot of support. This is the place to go to get it. I mean, and
0: my next thought is then how much does Johnson anticipate setting all of that up, what you just described? How much is that going to cost?
2: Yeah, so as you might imagine, uh, Brandon Johnson, Mayor-elect Johnson, has not gotten specific on how much he would spend on those. Uh, The state provides a million dollars a year to the— Centers that it funds, although those are also ran by usually hospitals or other medical groups who might be putting in their own money uh the sort of advocates who push this say you 're going to need at least a million dollars a year per center, and you know that obviously how much it costs is going to depend on how many people you want to serve mm-hmm. and how how deep you want to go with the services I mean the estimate is I think $66 an hour per person. So uh, I'm not going to do the math right now because I'm not capable of it. But but obviously – And then how, what
0: is that going to trickle down to when it comes to patients? Right, right? exactly. How, like much how are many people can you serve
2: pay? and what can you give them? Well, and patients are not supposed to pay anything. If, okay. if the city keeps with the model as the trauma recovery centers have, have worked so far, it's supposed to be at no cost to the patient at all. Now, okay. they might – connect them to services that do end up costing something, but the actual trauma recovery center is not supposed to cost anything.
0: Good to know. All right, Chip, another of Johnson's promises included uh, expanding a community campaign, treatment, not trauma, as we've talked about. Give us the goal of that program and, and how Johnson's looking to support it exactly.
1: Yeah. Well, I, our colleague Shannon Heffernan has been reporting a lot about this with me. Um, uh, Treatment Not Trauma, it's a campaign uh, led by mental health professionals and advocates. And basically the idea is to shift uh, uh, the the city's response to 911 calls about mental health crises, to, sh- to shift it from cops to uh, health care providers. Uh, EMTs, social workers, clinicians, um, uh, substance abuse counselors. So Lightfoot, um the Lightfoot administration already has five mobile teams responding to 911 calls about mental health crises that uh, bring in other actors besides the police. They call it the CARE program, but it, it's been going for about two years. Uh, it's a very slow rollout. Mm-hmm. Last month, this whole program, these five teams, they responded, Sasha, to fewer than three calls a day. So this uh, treatment, not trauma, campaign is calling for a, a, a ramping it up a lot more quickly. They, they want at least ten teams running and operating twenty-four hours a day, not just during business hours. Mm. Um, so, uh, but it raises some issues because um, yeah, Johnson's
0: got to be getting some pushback. Yeah, on if, this. well,
1: if you uh, the, the, all of these teams have to be, uh, they're running uh, with protocols that have to, that need state health, uh, public health regulatory approval. And if you remove cops like Treatment Not Trauma wants to do from all the teams, it limits the types of mental health calls that they can respond to. So, for example, if you have somebody, a mother calling about a son who's kicking, that kicking, would uh, it has to be right now um, under the whole state regulatory uh, framework, it has to be responded to with a police officer. So it's going to be complicated.
0: This is reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We're talking to two WBEZ criminal justice reporters. That's Chip Mitchell and Patrick Smith. And we're discussing Mayor-elect Brandon Johnson's public safety plan and possible challenges that he could face trying to put the plan in place. Uh, so, Patrick, during his campaign, Johnson committed to funding gender-based violence services. Any specifics there from him on how much he plans to dedicate the the city's office on uh, domestic violence.
2: So he has not given a number on that. He promised to fully fund the city's office on domestic violence. And I'll say that that advocates I've spoken to who work in the gender based violence space, they are um, they've been very happy with the amount of outreach and connection they've had with with Mayor-elect Johnson and his campaign and his people. So they're looking forward to it. But they certainly have specific dollar amounts that they think fully funding means. Uh, Brandon Johnson has not committed to any of them yet. But, what they say is that you know it needs to be at least thirty five million dollars annually. That's roughly where the city is at right now. Some advocacy groups say it needs to be fifty million dollars a year for the office of domestic violence to try to address you know all sorts of support that survivors are, and people suffering domestic violence go through.
0: He's going to go through some big challenges to get this done he will like.
2: he will because. A lot of that money, like $20 million plus, comes from expiring COVID relief dollars. I think people who are listening now should get used to hearing that about a lot of different things in the, in the coming years, which is like we had this big rush of COVID dollars, obviously and a lot of expenses too, but that's all going away. And advocates are saying if you're fully funding this office, that means you've got to make that federal – the federal dollars we, we were getting, you've got to match that with city dollars and make sure we, we keep this like $30, 35000000 million annually, at least that permanent.
0: Late last week, Chip, Mayor Lightfoot extended the city's shot spotter contract. That's a gunfire detection technology that CPD installed in at least 12 police districts. It can differentiate gunfire from non-lethal noises. So what did the mayor hope to accomplish with that, Chip, and, and why is Johnson trying to do away with it?
1: Well, this this contract ex- extension, our, our colleague Tom Schubert, the Sun Times, um, first reported about this on Friday. Um, it extends the Shot Spotter contract another six months, so uh, instead of uh, expiring in August, it's going to expire um, uh, next February, February of 2024. Um, so, one interesting question for uh, the mayor-elect is whether he will pull the plug on ShotSpotter Spotter as he promises. Um, while that contract is still in force and 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 this and the city will still be presumably on the hook for paying for it, um, it runs about nine million dollars uh, a year according to brandon johnson 's campaign mm. so this company it 's based in California. Um, the Lightfoot administration um, believes in this technology. That's why they extended the contract, and they they don't want Chicago to be without gunshot uh, detection sensors. So they if it's they want either ShotSpotter now. ShotSpotter apparently has some competitors that are cropping up in this uh, market, mm-hmm. um, and there is evidence that it does get help get cops a lot quicker to places where shots have been fired. But um, Sasha, there's um, there's uh, a lot of Um, Opposition to ShotSpotter uh, gunshot detection sensors, a 2021 report by the inspector general's office found that ShotSpotter seldom leads to documented evidence of gun crimes Mm -hmm. or even recovery of a firearm, but it does lead to CPD um, treating residents uh, more often as suspects so for example it's there's a lot more uh, uh, there are uh, residents of where there are a lot of sh- uh, shotspotter alerts are a lot more likely to get stopped yeah. and patted down for weapons
0: and some additional info here too chip i mean shotspotter's stock price it fell 34% last week and so financial analysts are saying that there's significant risk that Johnson's administration getting rid of it you know the the city's relationship with with shotspotter it could cause other cities to try and make similar moves.
1: Well yeah, and it ShotSpotter now uh, says that it is running uh this these systems in more than 100 cities and Chicago is the epicenter just volume-wise of of gunshots and gunfire and gun violence. So um, uh, people around the country are are really watching closely to to what's going to happen in Chicago under uh, Mayor-elect Brandon Johnson.
0: Well, Johnson has said that the technology played a role in the uh, police killing of 13-year-old Alan Toledo in in Little Village back in 2021. How so, Patrick?
2: It was a shot spotter alert uh, early in the morning uh, back in March 2021 that brought the police to that area. I should say, I mean, based on our knowledge and, and the reporting and, and investigations that's been done, an accurate shot spotter alert to shots fired in that area that brought police there that led to the foot chase that ultimately ended with the, with the killing of 13 year old Adam Toledo.
0: Yeah. Speaking of Adam Toledo, we just learned, Patrick, uh, Chicago Police Interim Superintendent Eric Carter, he's recommending the firing of Officer Eric Stillman. That's the officer who fatally shot Toledo. So the interim superintendent filed charges with the CP, uh, the Chicago Police Board on Monday. What else should we know here?
2: Yeah. So that charging document, it's interesting. COPA, which is the agency that investigates police shootings, they investigated the shooting. They recommended that Officer Eric Stillman be fired for for an unauthorized use of force, an unnecessary use of force. Uh the former police superintendent until very recently, the police superintendent, David Brown, disagreed with that, said he shouldn't be fired. He should be suspended, I think, for a body camera violation, not turning on his body camera on, in time. However, the interim police superintendent, as you just mentioned, Eric Carter, is going, you know, going the other direction, recommending that Stillman be fired for not de-escalating the situation and, and using unnecessary deadly force. Yeah. Um, so so now, now it goes to the police board, as you mentioned.
0: So charges have been filed? The, the next step is?
2: Yeah, so now it's in the hands of the police board. That means there will be hearings that really work like a court. There's an attorney for the officer. There's an attorney who comes from the corporation council, the city city attorneys, who represents the superintendent, essentially represents the city's attempt to fire him, uh, the officer. Then the police board will vote on that. That process takes months, maybe even longer. So we're not going to find out for, for a little while what's going to happen with Officer Stillman.
0: Patrick Smith and Chip Mitchell are criminal justice reporters at WBEZ. Thank you both.
2: My pleasure. Thank you.